Well, today on the Beyond Beauty podcast, we have Elise Markowitz, mom of two and a marketing and growth consultant. Elise, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to see you, Anne. It's good to see you. So everyone, Elise and I worked together at Kendo, which is a division of LVMH. We were there in the very early days. I believe we worked in what we called the call center together, which is where <laughs> there's a lot of people that had just started working on Kat Von D, Mark Jacobs Beauty, Ula Henriksen. And we were just, we we're making everything happen from brand marketing to PR strategy. So we got to spend a lot of quality time together back in San Francisco. So Elise, we're excited to hear your story in the beauty industry, how you got involved, how you got started. So let's go back. Where did this all begin? At one point, did you know you wanted to go into the beauty industry and how did your career evolve and where did you get to the point or how did you get to the point where you are today? Yeah, it has been a long and interesting journey for sure. I tell everybody I have a very eclectic career background compared to most in the industry. And for me, that was really on purpose. I wanted to be somebody who had a very 360 holistic view of beauty and not only beauty, but marketing. So I've always been a beauty lover since I was a very young age. I would steal my mom's lipsticks, similar stories to, to some people out there. And when I was older, I ended up getting my degree, my bachelor's in political science. So nothing even remotely close to marketing. So that was really helpful. And then as I grew up, I graduated in 2009 from college, which was the height of that recession then. So there weren't a lot of jobs out there. I had to just make it work, worked abroad in Korea for a year, teaching English. I nannied. I just took that time to travel. When I came back to the States, I started working in marketing for fitness, actually. And I liked it. It was in the early days of social media digital marketing, all of those things. So you actually go in and manually upload your Google ads and social media was all about just posting cute stuff and keeping it on brand. Nothing like it is now. Influencers didn't exist, which is, I know, shocking for so many people. There was a time. So that was great. And then I knew I wanted to be in beauty. So I... I'm a little bit of a woo person, definitely like hardworking, but I just put it out there. I just said out loud, I said, I want to be in marketing at Sephora or in beauty and just said it one day to myself. And then I'm like, how can I make this happen? So I went on LinkedIn back when LinkedIn was actually very new itself. And I looked at everybody who I knew who worked at Sephora and then if I had any mutual connections to them. And I found one um, person who worked there that I had a mutual connection with that I actually worked with at my current role. And I just asked her to, to introduce me to send her my resume. And as fate would have it, like two weeks later, she was looking for uh, a temp for a role there. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And then I got hired on full time shortly after. Wow. And then within the world of marketing, there's so many different things you can do in marketing. Even before the influencer marketing days, there's like you said, mm -hmm. there's the Google ad side, there's more of the analytical growth marketing, and there's more of the brand marketing of the aesthetics, the colors, mm -hmm. what their point of view is, their brand image and identity. What role did you land at Sephora? Was that the role that you wanted? Was it the role that was a stepping stone? And, and how did you figure out what you clicked with the most in marketing? Yeah or within yeah. the greater industry? 
That's a great question. And I don't think I knew when I really started in marketing what aspect of it I liked the most. I landed a role in brand marketing at the time, which back then really had a different meaning, I think, than it does now. I think you'll see cyclically that these all of these terms within marketing change. It's like brand marketing and then it's engagement marketing and then now growth marketing is like the new hot thing. So back then it really, it was a little more broad than brand marketing is now. It was just a catch-all for all marketing. So I landed that role and I really enjoyed it. It was on Kat Von D Beauty in the early days of Kat Von D Beauty and on a, a nail brand called Formula X that I, doesn't exist anymore. So those two roles and just learning about all of them, how to work really closely with our partners, our retail partners, how to grow the brand, what different activations we can do to grow the brand. Yeah. <laughs> And so you were on Kat Von D when I think it was the number one brand at Sephora. Is that correct? And that was, or close to it, that, or definitely yeah. between like liquid lip, the liquid eyeliner, yes. it was yeah. everyone was talking about. So what was that like when you're sitting on the top per se of the beauty industry? And what did you learn from that? It was wild. I will say that I started on the brand when it wasn't necessarily taken seriously by everyone in the beauty industry, uh, especially within beauty artist industry. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge focus for us at the time is getting into artistry, showing how great the formulations were in addition to being a celebrity brand kind of beyond that and helping to showcase Kat as an artist. Mm -hmm. So that was really special to be a part of that and that transition of the brand, seeing how people grew to respect it from a formula artistic perspective as well. It was crazy. I remember not myself being able to get a Lolita liquid lip from inside the office. So that was crazy. And it was just exciting to be a part of. Mm -hmm. That is a good point too. It's not only do you have a celebrity paired with a beauty brand, which we saw a lot with within fragrance, but this is before Fenty. This is before Rare Beauty, which is definitely more right. common today to have a celebrity tied to makeup, skincare, fragrance. But we saw in the 90s, it was all about celebrity licensing fragrances, but not so much within the beauty space. Yes, there might have been, I think it was Julia Roberts who was on with Lancome, right? And it'd be the back of mm -hmm. the Vogue magazine or the, the front 20 pages in terms of ads. But now someone is endorsing this line, using it, and it's not just slap a name on a label, but it's right. they're involved from everything, not only from marketing, but also truly from product development. And like you said, marketing to those genuine makeup artists, it's all about the formula and the payoff and the color, the mm -hmm. consistency. That was a really big deal back in the day. And then on top of it, around 2014, 2015, that's when every brand started focusing on influencer marketing. So mm -hmm. tell us about that. How did you navigate that? Because I personally still remember people were saying, why are you gifting? Why are you spending so much money to gift, mail, create custom boxes, send videos in boxes to these people on the internet that you don't even know that aren't even obligated to post what they received? And we really had to fight against the critics to say, this is the next wave of marketing and let's see what we can do and use it as our own yeah. growth hack. Yeah. I always speak to this when I'm talking to people about my career and 
it's exciting, but it also makes me feel old. Like you just said that now people can't even imagine not gifting influencers or working with influencers or probably influencers being one of the biggest expenditures in their budget. And like you said, back then we had like friends of the brand that you would send stuff to, not even really considering them influencers, just people who you knew liked the brand or who knew the founder or whatever, and you would gift them, they would post, and you didn't really have a way of measuring if there was anything earned from that posting. So I think around that same time, you saw a lot of measurement tools launching to capture that white space. Uh, and yeah, the, I think all of the brands at Kendo were on the forefront of that entire industry within an industry. So that was exciting to be a part of and figure out the way in there, the right way to gift influencers, because I think we learned really quickly that just the, the spray and pray approach of just sending it to everybody and being anonymous, just sending like a printed card wasn't the way to go. And you really had to be very personal and thoughtful in how you gifted them, especially with a color brand like Kat Von D where you have to not every color works to every person. So how can you make it really elevated and, and personalized? So mm -hmm. it was exciting. So fast forward to now. So what did you do between working at Kendo to, to the point you're at today? How did you get there? How did it evolve? And what was, what's been going on since the days of the beginning <laughs> of influencer marketing, as we can say in the history of the beauty industry? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, a wild ride in a good way. I got pregnant with my first, who's now five, while I was still working at Kendo. So that was, I think, the beginning of a very interesting journey with not only my career, but identity as a whole. I always knew I wanted kids. And I think people always say you can be prepared, but you're never ready. And I think for me, that was 100% true. So I, I got pregnant, I went on mat leave, and I think that the first year of my son's life, I was just in shock from being a mom and just this whole new world of, oh my God, like I actually have a baby now. And I also suffered from postpartum anxiety pretty badly. So that was tough, having a baby, not knowing what it's like to be working all the time, dealing with that. And you're a mom now on top of everything else, I think. We all know women have all of these expectations in general to be the perfect everything. And then adding on to that, you're in charge of a whole nother human. It was a lot to deal with. So I had a major identity crisis and I also went back to work and I switched to being at a beauty startup, which I liked, but I just, for me, I couldn't find the right balance of being with what was now the most important thing in my life, my son, and working full-time. And at that point, there, there really wasn't a work-from-home situation that was pre-pandemic. So that was a special, rare thing. So I would every, I always tell this story every Sunday, and it's true, back then I would just cry and get the extreme Sunday scaries because I knew I wasn't going to be seeing my son basically the whole week, I would see him like an hour a day before I dropped him off. And then an hour after I picked him up from daycare. And for me, that wasn't the balance that I wanted. So I quickly learned that I needed to make a change in some way to make my life what I wanted it to be as a working mom. 
So that's when I decided to start my own consulting agency. And so here I am, <laughs> five, like so five years of, later. This is a topic I'd love to explore is that sometimes yeah. we hear people have more of a work-life balance when they work for themselves. Sometimes people say I have yeah. more of a work-life balance when I work for a big corporate company that might offer subsidized daycare or there's daycare within the building. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this? And what advice would you give to, mm -hmm. to a new mom or to a mom of kids that might be five and 10 and 15? How do you find that balance? And are there different paths for different types of careers or personalities or family structures? Yeah, I think the most important thing is that you do what is right for you and your family. If you want to work full time and your kid goes to daycare full time and that works for you, that is great. And I think everybody should just stop judging moms, especially each other on what we decide to do, how we want to live our lives, how we want to navigate these really intense and sometimes stressful years of raising small children. For me, that wasn't what I wanted and what was working for my family at the time. So I chose a different option of I actually ended up staying home full time for I went to back to work for a year after my son was born, was not happy, <laughs> ended up just being like, OK, I need to just figure something else out. I was very lucky. I have a supportive husband, so I was able to stay home for about a year and get things figured out before I launched my new company. But I think it's really whatever works for you, what makes you happy your partner happy, your kids happy, however you guys thrive, that is what works for you. Mm -hmm. And it's important. It's never judge anyone else. What works for you might not work for someone else. And I honestly yeah. think I'm not a mom. I have a lot of friends that are moms and I step back and women are really tough on each other. They're very yeah. judgmental. They're quick to throw shade per se at somebody that doesn't look like them in terms of what their, mm -hmm. their structure or their life is, where they live, what part of the country, part of the world, how big their mm -hmm. family, how small their family is. And yeah. I truly think if we could just step back and say, we're all individuals, we're all unique and we're all doing the best we can, let's just almost hold hands and let's make this a better place. Easier said than done. So I think that's a good point of let's stop judging no matter what point we're at if our moms are we're 22 year olds just navigating the corporate world right. it could be a different yeah. place mm -hmm. i agree and i think it's tough especially on women of our age and all ages but i think our age really had that girl boss mentality driven into us so we're like we have to achieve like, keep achieving never leave the workforce we're just we're so intense on that. And I think that's amazing and great. And I'm the same exact way. I think we also need to think about holistically how we're going to be happy, what makes just winning in a career or just winning at home or however you want to say it. I think it, it needs to work for you mm. and you shouldn't really care what society has to say about it. I agree. I heard someone recently say, I keep on forgetting who was in, being interviewed, but it was somebody went to a person with a lot of thoughts and opinions and in a leadership space. And they said, what is the definition of success? Thinking that it would be some type of monetary number, the size of the house or the size of the family or the white picket fence or mm -hmm. where they went on vacation that summer. And instead he said, the definition of success is finding your inner Zen, finding your inner peace, what makes you happy and mm -hmm. not waking up with anxiety, not waking up with these panics, yeah. not feeling like we have to climb a corporate ladder, a girl boss ladder, what truly makes you happy inside and just being able to wake up and feel at peace. 
And that's something yeah. that's not mentioned often yeah. on a barometer of success. I totally agree with that. And I think too, if you don't want to have kids, that's great too. And I super respect that. Sometimes I'm like, did I make a mistake? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but no, it's everybody just do what you want to do and mm -hmm. stop being so judgmental towards others and just, you know. And help each other out too. And if someone, and I think this is what this is about too, is giving each other advice and saying, maybe there's a been, there's someone on here who's a mom of teenagers and she could say, this is what I was doing when I was building my career and raising my family, or maybe someone who's thinking about starting a family. There's ways that people that connect and share advice. And that's so powerful and mm -hmm. to remove the judgment and share advice is at the end of the day, it's going to get us all farther in any aspect yeah. of life. So tell us about being a consultant, starting your own company. More. Yeah. Yeah. How'd it's been awesome. it? How'd you get started beyond saying, this is what I want to do. This is my work-life balance. I will also say that I know that I am privileged in having been, been able to start my own company. I had a working partner that I could fall back on during this. And I think that's not the reality for everyone. And I'm really aware of that. And I just want to note that before I continue, as I think it's really important. And so as far as my journey, I got started. I knew I wanted to be in a marketing and growth position. I did always feel like in the corporate world, you, by the nature of roles, you're just put in a box in one area of marketing that you're in charge of. And I've always been interested in the 360s. Yes, the branding aspects, but also the growth aspects. What are the numbers looking like? How do we pull each lever to affect those on budgeting, et cetera? I've really always been interested in, in all realms. So when I started my marketing consultancy, Markowitz Marketing, okay. I wanted to make sure that we offered all of those services and even some that I necessarily wasn't feeling prepared for as even though I had experience in them, I think everybody has that imposter syndrome for sure. And so I was able to reach out to some friends that I knew were starting companies or potentially kicking off brands and work for them at a discounted rate just to get some things on my, my resume to start with. And I think a lot of people are what I've noticed in people just starting out when they're consulting is that they're almost afraid to offer their services at a reduced fee and or potentially work for free to get that experience or those like names in their roster. And I would, if you can advise against that and just start working, just start working with somebody, figure something out, just put some irons in the fire and just get yourself out there and just keep just reaching out to people, throwing spaghetti against the wall. And that's how I got my first few, my first few clients. I also applied to marketer hire, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. And I was accepted to that, which was huge and exciting. So that's been um, a great way of getting clients as well. And it's just been referrals since then, which has been really flattering and really exciting. So I've been super lucky and it's worked for me in terms of at 11, 15, I have to go get my daughter from school and I can do that, which is really important to me. So it's been a lot of hard work. I will be honest. That was a very nutshell answer. A lot of hard work, stressful days of working after I put the kids to bed. But for me, I chose this and I know that this is what I want. So it's been, it's been a pleasure to do. Do you work solely within the beauty vertical or do you work outside of beauty and consumer goods and beyond? I do work outside of beauty. I have found myself really in a niche of beauty, skincare, fashion. 
is where I have found myself, which is a great place to find yourself if you're into those industries. It's been awesome, really exciting. So I've been working really in that space. It's been, it's been exciting. And also to see how that space itself has shifted over Mm -hmm. just even the past few years with the pandemic, a constant looming recession and how shoppers are shopping differently with a firm and all of these new offerings that they have with Amazon. We're in a new, completely new world. So it's been a really exciting learning phase too, of my career as a whole. I think getting to work across different verticals has made me such a stronger marketer. I'm able to just be exposed to different people, thoughts, ways of shopping, ideas, um, plugins for Shopify. Just everything has been has been really exciting to to be a part of. What would you say the biggest shift in marketing has been in the past eight, 10 years? And how are you constantly consuming new information to always stay ahead of the curve and keep innovating within the world of marketing that seems to be growing at a faster pace and changing at a faster pace, I should say, more now than ever? Yeah. I think number one, just be open. And I know that's a very broad answer. (laughs) Be open. I think always be testing everything in terms of whether it's creative imagery, copy, For me, I think the biggest shift has been the consumer now tells you what they want. We don't tell the consumer anymore what they want. They are, with the age of the internet and social media, everyone's an expert, whether they are or not. So you really need to be able to quickly um, move towards those new trends of what they're wanting in terms of ingredients or the way that things wear, um, sizing, colorways. Um, And they... You can't just be stuck in your ways of this is the brand. This is how we're going to do it. It really is a a balancing act between making sure that you're true to yourself and your brand, and then also making it relevant to this consumer who is hyper-educated in all things. They can Google literally anything. They have a computer at the touch of their fingers. So I think making sure that you're constantly open to that. And I think too, what what I've really learned is that marketing constantly humbles you what you think will work in terms of an ad could be a complete flop and an ad that you think is so ugly will be by far and away your biggest return on ad spend. Mm -hmm. So I think you can't ever think that you know it all because you don't, (laughs) you just can't. And you need to be this nice balance again of like creative, but also looking at the data. Yeah. And that's such an exciting thing because you can bring that confidence and courage and taking risks into your job like you said, mm-hmm. what you think is you could put your biggest bet on a campaign and it's not going to go anywhere as this one random mm-hmm. maybe UGC ad that you spent $75 creating and how that's really going to drive sales on the TikTok shop. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay confident going into these marketing executions, knowing that what worked maybe three weeks ago for one brand might not work for the same brand today in this fast-paced mm-hmm. industry we're in? How can we still bring confidence to A-B testing, experimenting while staying humbled, while still bringing confidence and saying, we know what we're doing. It's an innovative time. And isn't that more exciting than, you know, stagnation? Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe the best question. I think for marketers, it's always very hard 
to prove worth. I think with everything that they're doing, but I do think too, there's this stereotype of the marketer, Emily in Paris, I'm just gonna shoot content and upload it to Instagram. I cannot tell you how many times I have been treated as such in the workplace. And I think a lot of people don't know that there is a ton of experience in data analytics, knowing how consumers shop, knowing when they shop. There's just, there's so many touch points and data points that go into a marketing campaign. And then it's the testing. How are you going to allocate the budget across each channel? How are these uh, customers spoken to across each channel? But at the same time, it all has to be on brand. There's a lot that goes into it. So I think Number one, making sure that you have the confidence when you're going into a meeting with founders or the C-suite at your company that you can deliver a plan confidently and say, okay, here's what's worked before. Maybe let's try it again. Here's a certain percentage I want to test with to potentially grow by X percent and just be really upfront with the fact that anything in marketing is never promised. It's we're figuring it out. It's an art form as much as it is a, a data-driven field. So it's going to be a constant up and down. Consumers are constantly changing. The world isn't stagnant. So marketing moves really fast. And I think just constantly being up on what the newest things are, getting on all of the mailing lists, email lists, keeping up to date with new social media apps, not letting your ego ever get in the way of this is what marketing is like period, end of story. These are the only channels you have to just constantly be open and flexible and learning as the world changes, which it does every day. It does. That's a really good point to stay up to date with those marketing newsletters. And it might mm -hmm. seem overwhelming to wake up every Monday or now they're coming every Wednesday, Friday of all of this extra email in your inbox. Not that we, we need any more things flying at us, but there's so much information there. And it's a way to say what's going on, what worked for this company or what worked for this vertical might work for the beauty yeah. vertical. So that is, a, yeah. that is a very solid point. I agree with. Mm -hmm. So two more questions as we wind down this podcast. At least we love to ask the question of where do you sit in the stands in your life? And it is a question that is parallel to sitting at your favorite sports game. Maybe you're watching a football game and someone throws the ball and they're yelling from the stand saying, why did you throw it to him? You should have run it down the sideline. And what does that person know? They're sitting in the stands. They're not on the field. And at the end of the day, if they were on the field, they would understand all the different angles coming at it. So many times in our life, we sit in the stands and we're watching ourselves saying, I wish we could stop doing something, or I wish we could start doing something. It might take us another two weeks. It might take us 10 years. And not everyone is sitting in the stands in their life. Is there any place where you feel that you are sitting in the stands in your life? And if so, what is it? It could be personal. It could be professional. And what would you like to commit to? This is a really like deep question. <laughs> It's a good thing to extract though. Like, I think so many times, especially now where we move so quickly and something that we were mm -hmm. talking about before we got on this podcast is the overwhelming nature of cell phones. I personally, I definitely could live in a world without a cell phone. And I think that's a good thing. And it's a very bad thing when it comes to marketing because you should be glued to your phone. And I definitely yeah. am not I'm the first one to take five weeks to respond to a message, sadly. But it's a way of saying, who are we and what are we committing to? We write down these to-do lists, whether they're grocery lists or this is what we want in our career, or this is that one vacation we want to take or that one hike we want to go on with friends on a Saturday. And sometimes we go mm -hmm. years without it ever happening. 
And so I think it's yeah. a good way of, of pulling back both professionally and personally and saying, what do we want to do? What is something we can commit to? And sometimes if you say it out loud, like you said, beginning of the interview, yeah. you said it out loud, yeah. I want to work at Sephora and you made it happen. And now look at your career and how it's blossomed. I don't know. I'm blinking, Anne. I have no good answer for this. I told well, you I was something in your company. Is there an ideal company you want to work with? Is there a certain part of marketing you want to experiment with? It could be even something as I want to experiment more with the TikTok shop, knowing that it's in its early stages and I'm going to get a brand to 40% of their eye products on it <laughs> by the end of this holiday season. It could be something as fun as that. No. I, no, I, what you said, definitely that ring a bell for me, for me, I would love to focus on growing my agency even more. I think that is, that will be big for me. It's hard to know the balance between when you have small kids, how much you can take on. And I definitely don't want to feel like I have felt in the past in my career of where I'm feeling at both. So I think I'm feeling good about the balance right now, but I think in the future, I definitely would love to grow it more and have a true, like multiple full-time people agency. So the final question on the podcast, another favorite, which I know you have a lot of good points for is what advice would you like to leave with somebody who comes up to you and says, Elise, I want to go into the beauty industry, whether it's marketing to product development to pricing strategy. How do I get my foot in the door? How do I start? If you were in your early 20s looking to make that pivot or grow within that industry, what advice would you give to them and why? Yeah, I would say do it. It's a really exciting industry to be a part of. It's not slowing down anytime soon. I just read an article of how they found makeup from like ancient Rome or something that was like still around. So it's been around the beauty industry. It's going to be around. And I think it's only growing and becoming more inclusive, which is awesome. So it's going to be really exciting to be a part of. For example, I have this awesome tinted moisturizer that's actually for men that I use. And it's amazing. And I love that we have products now that are for everybody. It's really awesome. It's called Apostle. You guys should definitely go shop it. And I think I would say definitely go into the industry and don't be afraid to take risks. And by that, I don't mean anything crazy. If you want to work for a company, feel free to send the CEO an email directly. Send them your resume. Tell them you want to be in the beauty industry. Give them a little bit of information about you. I think after knowing David Solitiano, I think he's somebody who would have loved to receive those. He's a really open guy, loves go-getters. So Doing those little things that almost seem a little crazy, they're not that crazy. Reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn, maybe you go to a brand's website and you notice something that could be, that could optimize conversion. Shoot them a note, shoot the marketing team a note and just say, hey, I was on the website, notice X, Y, Z. Those things are really great ways of showing your worth to somebody that you don't know and they may like what they see, but they will never know if you don't reach out to them or do something. So I think just, make it happen in whatever way, with the exception of stalking someone that you can. Well, this is great advice. And thank you, Elise. Where can brands find you if they want help with marketing, growth marketing, brand marketing, PR strategy, et cetera? How do they get in touch with you and learn more about your services? Yeah, definitely. So markowitzmarketing.com is my website. So feel free to 
to give it a visit, reach out. I would love to chat. Or if you just want to talk about marketing, I'm always here for that. If you're a mom, please reach out. I love to talk to other moms. Or if you're not a mom, just whomever. Amazing. Thank you, Elise. Thanks for sharing your story as a mom, as a consultant, as an entrepreneur, as someone who has grown such an amazing career within the beauty industry. And thanks for your time. And we're excited to see Markowitz Marketing grow. <laughs> Likewise. Same. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. It's so great to see you. It's good to see you too, Elise. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Bye.